millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When was the last time you two saw each other then, kind of in person? Yes, oh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the studio? Yeah. Um, well, I'm in the studio, but yeah. So I'm just going to grab these headphones, guys. Two seconds. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, we were in the studio just trying to keep up with the ever-mounting pile of material we've set for ourselves to release. <laughs> and then we realized at some point we need to finish it. So, yeah, the, the finishing process is always like, you know, that really important last 15%, 20% that kind of makes the song polished. So that's what we've been working on for the last three weeks or something like that. It's fascinating the difference kind of getting the project over the line like that, just like that last 10%, like in any kind of creative form, like the same with like films and stuff. Like when you just get Mm -hmm. that last 10% and it falls into place, like the same with music makes a massive difference. Yeah, I feel like whether it's film or music or, you know, digital art or whatever the medium is like, the artist is always talking about that last 10 to 15 it's like oh yeah but it's not like it's good but it's not like there and there's such a crazy difference between it being like absolutely polished and it being like oh yeah that's good like you know you everyone thinks it's done but it's not <laughs> still got me here can you hear me okay oh yeah, yeah coming through loud and clear, loud and clear sir yeah it, it's an art in and of itself isn't it getting at that last 10 percent of the way there yeah it takes a lot of patience to not just say, okay, it's done. And I think a lot of, um, you have to kind of like be willing to give up on yourself a little bit too. Like you have to admit that you had an idea that wasn't good enough and start all over again. And I think most of the time when I see people in studio fail to get to that last 10 to 15%, it's because they can't let go of anything. They can't swap anything out. Like Phil and I will have whole sessions where we're like, you know what, like this song's entirely structured, all wrong. I hate the pre-chorus and the bridge sucks. We're taking out all those parts. We're rewriting them, replacing them with all new production. 
and then we're re-going through all the produ- other production to make it match. That's so, problems like so. even more relevant here when you're in like LA because there's such the like pop songwriter kind of circuits and they have this kind of business model of like you have to write a song a day and I know John's done a lot of these sessions I know I have and you know there's no there's nothing wrong with it it's just a different approach but it is kind of weird being a fly on the wall for it a lot of times or being in it because it's it's this approach like yeah they just like there's not no one really cares about the quality of what you're working on it's just about finishing (laughs) it to say that you finished a song almost yeah it's as much about who's in the room as what you're actually doing <laughs> which is oftentimes yeah. a reflective it's really music, strange you know? when you're doing it for your own project though, i guess it's different because it's your thing and you can have those calls so i get that it's like different if you're writing a song that isn't going to be for you but it is strange when you're there and it's just like cool how about this yeah cool and then you're like are we sure about that really like yeah. <laughs> I guess LA can be a little bit of a yes culture as well, sometimes, maybe. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in closed industry over here, just what Phil was talking about with like kind of the songwriter circuit, like quantity beats quality. It's almost kind of a ladder climbing energy you get from LA. And I've, I've never seen that in any other city. I'm not sure if it exists in the UK because I've never. <clears throat> really spent time there yeah it's 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 a pretty uniquely bummer thing do you learn things we were saying earlier as well about how a lot of the work that you kind of done with strings before have been in those kind of writing sessions in the kind of more pop domain do you learn things by being present in that room and kind of tapping into your songwriting in a different way uh yeah i think it lets you flex in different muscles you know like it you take up little bits and you choose to not pick up little bits and you bring that back to your project. Um, and you know, with, with violin, I mean, it does literally help keep you in practice. You know, it just helps keep your fingers moving. You don't want to lose that, especially now that we're not touring. Gotta keep playing somehow so I can stay fresh. Is that you came into contact with each other? Was it through a writing session in that way, in that domain? Uh, mm. No, it's actually from a uh, mutual friend. Well, Boy. kind of yes, kind of no. It was a, a mutual friend that introduced us at like a birthday party or like a hang or something. And then we both knew that we both, you know, were doing music and all this kind of stuff. And then if I remember rightly, I think the first time we hung out, I was actually trying to help a producer buddy of mine connect to a few top liners and writers. Oh, was like, yeah. Yeah, he it was fairly, you know, he was in town doing mm-hmm. some sessions, working on like a record and he's an electronic artist. So he, you know, produces tracks and then kind of has these sessions with top liners. And he was asking me if I knew anyone and I was like racking my brain. I was like, actually, I, you know, I know this guy, John, I was like, I don't really know him super well, but like, seems like a good dude. He's got a killer voice. Like I'm sure he'd be up for it. So I text John and we set it up. And yeah, we it did. spiraled out of control. <laughs> yeah, we did that. <laughs> that was how we kind of first started ripping it. But then actually, I'd say that after that, we didn't do anything for a little while. And then I kind of had this intention of doing some sync-related music for one reason or another. And I just hit John up and was like, thinking, ah, oh, that was cool. And we worked with Fairlane. He's cool. Like, I wonder if he's down to just do some jams and see what happens. So I played, Phil comes in with this awesome, like, edge on his production and i do a lot of piano and violin so i think the thinking especially in the beginning was like oh you know you do kind of this cinematic movie score trailer music-esque you know and we'll do a little sync project and we'll just keep it really small 
And then we started working together and it got really out of hand really quickly. And we we're like, all right, well, you know, we got to brand it a little bit, even if it's the same project. And then the branding got way too fun too. And then, I mean, after like two or three weeks, it was like, this is a full, like screw everything else we've ever done. Like this is like <laughs> <what> <laughs> we want to do now. <laughs> so how do you define chemistry in that kind of environment in that way you've been describing there? Not just the chemistry between you two, but that kind of spark of, you know what I mean, that you feel between people in a music making environment. I think a good way of being able to recognizing it is simply being able to recognize when it's not it. Like as backwards as that might sound, like we've both done enough sessions and worked with enough people to have that frame of reference of like, I've worked with people where it's a vibe and I've worked with people where it's just really not. And so going into when me and John started working together, we kind of immediately knew it was working and it was a vibe. And you know, it's, it's a tough thing that, that especially when you're like first doing it, you kind of have this impression that like everyone you're going to work with, it's going to be like fun and it's going to work and it's just not the case. Yeah. Um, or that like, yeah, we, if it's not fun, it's a reflection of you yeah. I too, like a lot doing like kind of the production circuit stuff. It's like, it's kind of all on you to like make it fun. And it's like, you know, it can be a reflection of how good you are if it's not a vibe, but sometimes it's just like, it's just not working. Even with really great musicians, like, you know, it's just it like, it's like that, taste, you know, you know? Like yeah. sometimes tastes just don't line up and like someone's ideas aren't bad. It's just like, you can just tell that, you know, whatever they're influenced by, whatever the, the, the lane they're trying to take with it, it's just not something you'd particularly understand or whatever. And then it's just this very kind of brick wall moment, but it was kind of it's the just not of cinematic vampire rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, the, the big clue for us was that like in the first ever session we had to do it, we wrote the song can't feel anything, which is the first song we ever released. And another song, called Castle, which we haven't released yet, but it's been one of our favorites since we started. And we did both of them on like the first day. So we were like, well, fuck, okay. Clearly something's working here. Like we're, we're definitely sharing some sort of wavelength because we busted those out like it was nothing. And they're two of our like favorite songs that I think either of us have ever written. Yeah. I think when it happens like that, you kind of just know it when you know it. And like Phil said, it's easier for you to see it when you know, you've worked in a lot of sections where sessions where it, it, it ain't it like it's not there <laughs> and being able to recognize when it is there and being able to pivot that into a project, I think is just like the really important element that I, I see a lot of people not able to do, you know, like they get a hold of something cool and new or they have a new collaborator, but they want to hold on to their old, you know, for instance, in me, it would be my old solo project, which I pivoted from like right away. And if I hadn't done that, you know, I don't really know where we'd be today. Yeah, but absolutely. I think that's a super important, like being able to let go of stuff. It kind of goes back to like being able to drop your pre-course and delete the bridge at the last moment and redo everything because you know, it's just like not there yet. You know, can't be pot committed on your, on your music. <laughs> that's right. I get it. Though. Get it's tough. Like if you've been, yeah, you've been ripping on something for like, ages or working on a song for ages or a project and then like something new comes along like the idea of letting it go it feels like this reverse waste of time that you've already invested so much time that you should carry on but it's like you know that's been proven time and time again that 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 whole like model doesn't work there's no reward yeah. at the end of that path not always yeah, anyway. kind of, 
scorch into the ground yeah. <laughs> literally you can only yeah. ever just go on your gut and if you're feeling it you just gotta go for it and i think with us we were super lucky in our in this that there wasn't even a moment where we were unsure i think it just like yeah definitely which made it so much easier if it had been like kind of cool and we were like oh this is kind of cool it'd have been like Ooh, what do we do here but it was like oh this yeah. is so much fun like i definitely want to do this <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was too much fun that idea you were speaking of there where you you can't be precious with things and you have to be willing to cut a bridge or a pre-chorus whatever if it's not right for the song can it sometimes be difficult to distinguish between what's good and what you just have a really personal connection to because you've been working on it for so long it's tough it is tough but i do think that you know people say this thing like ah, there's no right way to do it it's like yeah but there is a pretty fucking heavy blueprint that everyone's <laughs> been following for the last like 20 years like you know, if, you, if you're telling me the bridge is not long enough or too long, I could, you know, it's usually, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just cold. I'm just like, there is a way these things are done. And it doesn't mean you always have to follow the trend. But, you know, if your bridge is 45 seconds long, it's probably a bit long, like whether it's cool or not. You know? Right. Um, yeah. I'm a bit less of a savage than Phil, but I do think that, yeah, I, like, I, I do agree with it. And I think it helps to have two people in the project too, because we have those moments, you know, even on smaller decisions where it's like, we're hyperanalyzing the track and we get so in the weeds that one of us doesn't know if it's, you know, a necessary item and it strengthens the track or have we just heard it 8,000 times in studio and we don't want to give it up. Yeah, and so that's when the one. other person could step in and be like, that's the dumbest riff you've ever written. Like, please read <laughs> it and we can start again. <laughs> yeah. Those happen all yeah. the time and it's great. Yeah, it's and good. Thankfully, and I'd say it, every time one of them happens, it, no matter how shocking it feels in the moment, whether it's me telling John something isn't working or John telling me something isn't working, and you're like, damn, I was like so into that. Within like 24 hours, you're always like, Oh yeah, he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. How do you approach that? How does that conversation begin where this maybe isn't quite working? Definitely someone brings it up and then the other person goes, Oh yeah, God, like I'm glad you said something because I was thinking about that too. And then usually we both have an opinion and then there's this like critical moment where someone goes like, okay, well, how do you like, like, is this, is this do or die for you? Like, how strongly do you feel? And then whoever feels like this is it, like, I'm going to put my chip on this, like, this needs to go or it needs to stay, then that person wins. And I think that's essential because even if the other person feels kind of some way about it, recognizing you don't feel as strongly as the other person and just kind of giving that up is, like, key. And I feel like that's how we make a lot of our decisions. It definitely is, yeah. It's like picking your battles. Like, you know, you don't want to, like, have it your way every time because then that that fifth time where you like actually really believe it's the right thing you know you've you can't just always have it so on some occasions you've got to be like yeah I, I don't think this is the move but like you know it, it might be that's cool you know let's do it yeah and honestly if your judgment's cloudy on it then maybe your opinion isn't sharp enough mm-hmm. on that certain aspect of the song like <clears throat> if you're not totally certain and the other person is like that means they can hear it in their head and you can't and you should follow their lead if you trust them unless you're working with a you know idiot and then (laughs) don't follow their lead (laughs) yeah
Yeah, it's about funny. having conviction both in yourself and in the other person. Yeah, yeah totally. We mentioned um, Can't Feel Anything a little while back, which is an interesting one because it kind of also ties into the slight cinematic side to what we've been speaking about in that the momentum of it and the pacing, it almost moves like a film trailer with the way it kind of goes through each stage of it and then it all comes, you know, crashing yeah. in. What can you learn from those traditional techniques that would tr- usually be applied to composing when you wore them into this kind of pop soundscape or pop rock, whatever you want to call it, soundscape? Ooh, that's interesting. Almost kind of like the other way around, like the pop side of you learns from, or at least from me, the pop side of you learns from injecting some of the more traditional like orchestration stuff into it. You add a bit more space and a little bit more breath and like a greater rise and a greater fall to stuff, like just higher dynamic stuff. Whereas pop is like, all right, cool. So we got this like sick four bar loop songs done. Can you write some lyrics over it? You know? And like, <laughs> like sometimes, you know, obviously it's a lot more elaborate than that. But um, if you were to exaggerate it, like, I feel like injecting dynamics into pop by using some of those more traditional, like classical influences. Um, it's kind of how it went for me, I guess, but that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, the thing we can't feel anything was, as I said before, it was the first song we wrote, and that's when we still were writing with the intention of these songs being just for that purpose. Like we were just writing them to be for movie trailers or you know, TV shows, film, that kind of thing. Um, so we weren't as worried about it kind of having the more digestible edge. It was almost like in doing it, we listened to it back and without kind of, even almost like without trying, we had like structured it like a pop song because that's just how we write. But it had all the like production and sounds of like a trailer thing. And that was almost like the the spark that was like, oh damn, that's like, that's kind of a cool idea if we did these like, pop structured songs with melodies and lyrics but they sounded a bit more like a movie trailer like wouldn't that be a cool idea so it's just like a little bit of each hand feeding the other yeah i think back then we just weren't we weren't really worrying about it too much it was just sort of letting it happen and just like really not worrying about hooking people too i think that was a big thing from the beginning is like we're gonna build this world and people are gonna find it and we're not good. Like not everyone's going to be into our stuff. And that's almost the goal in a weird way. Cause it's like, if you're trying to please everyone, you kind of please no one. And so it's like, let's build this really cool world. That's really intentional. And it's not, you know, trying to fight for people's attention. Um, and we'll just build it track by track. And so we let go a lot of that, like immediate pop hookiness. We kind of sacrifice that for this more like building higher dynamic song structure. Does that change the role of what a first EP should be then? If you're kind of using it to lay the groundwork for this world that you're creating? Yeah, a little bit, I'd say. Um, it's kind of both, because in one way, you know, a first EP should just be like a, a cool, exciting introduction as to what a project sounds like. And I do think that's like what we did with it. And we tried to cover all our bases where like, you know, we do these dark, big drops and these, you know, theatrical feeling things. But we also love just writing like, ballads you know we do love to do that too so you know songs like cold sets in are on there as well just to kind of you know show the range of what people could expect from it but yeah i mean like you said that the aim of the ep really was that it wasn't a like hey here's an ep so we can end up on you know the viral chart right now like there's no song on that ep that's 
going to do that. You know, that's just, it's not that yeah. thing. And that's fine. You know, that's <laughs> totally cool. like a trailer song on any Spotify playlist to me was so funny. I mean, yeah. it's, like, totally. it's so cool, but it was like, are you sure? Like, yeah. really? <laughs> so I guess, yeah, we, we just kind of wanted it to be like a, a cool kind of introduction to the soundscape. And then, then the whole world building thing will come in you know, slightly after. And I think it'll give people a better way of understanding it from the start. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mention cold sets in there as well, because that possibly has the most personal heart on the EP while still giving us this introduction to the world. Is that ever, how do you kind of balance that where you're including the personal, but also allowing it to take place in a soundscape that is by its very nature, quite theatrical almost? I feel like there's always going to be, you know, movies of, of any kind of genre of course sounds like an obvious thing to say but we really do approach it with this like when we're doing a song whereas most people are typically writing about a personal experience whether it's a breakup or a love story whatever we're kind of doing it from this very like visual perspective of like let's do a song that like would fit a trailer for like a a movie about a fucking guy in the woods being chased by a werewolf or you know example yeah. cold sets in it's this like kind of perfect example of a you know a more emotional approach and yeah i mean we definitely write personally and from experience like anyone would but we are kind of thinking of it a little bit more in terms of like what does this sound look like like if this was going to be for a trailer like what movie would it be for and let's try and get that kind of feeling in it yeah and it just in, it inject it's not that we're literally even trying to make sync music anymore. It's like, it's more like we're painting these little like movie vignettes, like where we've like taken these little paintings and stuff. And like, we're using that to express how the song flows and changes so that it has this like really cool, cohesive character. And each song is kind of its own story. And we even have some like background lore and stuff that we're still building into and we're making this world where these characters recur and they come back in through songs and music videos and then they they're mentioned in other ones and you know it's all kind of subtle but like even in these vignettes like it's very theatrical but like you know we do express like personal feelings and stories in them as well i think like your personal experience it's what theater is right it's like telling your story in like a very dramatic way so that it can be understood and i think some of these vignettes do that as well yeah and it kind of does it ever make it a little bit easier to be vulnerable too because you can kind of mask it in this oh fictional yeah definitely. i love i love hiding behind my fictional landscape <laughs> that's like my favorite thing <laughs> yeah. good fun when uh when did the logo or is that a logo how would you describe it the kind of crest when did that emerge the monogram <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, the that we've had that since like before we even launched the project. I mean, it sounds like an obvious thing to say because obviously we had to kind of do a whole logo brief beforehand. Um, the monogram was definitely something that I was like determined for us to have. Just I just think, well, there's kind of twofold reason. One, on a more like obvious business side, it's like a super great thing for like branding and you know kind of user interaction and a recognizable factor and. Also, the aesthetic of like what we're playing has this very kind of like bold kind of, you know, even old school, you know, times like this historical feeling to it. And, you know, monograms typically are a little bit more of a 
a bit more of a historical form of a logo, I think, especially in the style a that we have it. Like seal. it looks, yeah, it looks like a wax seal or something from like some weird king's crest or something. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the honest inspiration behind it, uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. You probably even know them. There's a band from the UK called While She Sleeps, which was a band that I, I knew of and were kind of from my area and grew up with. And obviously they're still ripping and doing great. Sick band. And I just remember when I was like 16 or whatever and they were popping off, they had this kind of like monogram-esque logo. And there was a there was a moment there where like that thing was just everywhere. And to this day it remains on all their merch and you know, it was like you couldn't even go to a show without seeing like five or six hoodies or crewnecks or t-shirts with that on the back or the front. And I just thought it was really cool. I just thought like, wow, that's so smart, man. It's like building an army or something. It's this like instantly recognizable thing, even more so than a logo or a traditional logo. And I don't know, I just thought it was really cool. So we we kind of came out with this like, yeah, I'd love to try and get a monogram. I'm not going to force it, but if if we you know, can get one that works and looks cool. And then we ended up with that one. And I think we both just really liked it. I just thought it, it looked how the music sounded in my eyes. I don't know how or why it just, I saw that monogram. And I was like, damn, that really feels like what this music sounds like to me. So let's rip it, you know, let's do it. If you're approaching each song as a vignette as well, it kind of gives something to help keep it cohesive and unify them all. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's true. We're planning a lot of visual projects as well. And there are these recurring themes where like, there's a very important, I mean, without <laughs> giving too much away, but you know, <clears throat> Phil's casting like a spell from a book and it's got the monogram like in blood stamped into the leather front, you know, and there's like all this crazy recurring cool stuff that we yeah. can do with the monogram. It just helps bring that world together, tie everything up and make it cohesive. Does that change the way you approach the songwriting when you think of it fitting into this grander picture? Like when you were writing the CP, did you have a sense of the full kind of trajectory of this project? Ooh, that's tough. I think it, it affects it more now because when we were writing the CP, it was honestly like now, it was so long. It was almost like a year ago that we were writing that. And wow. that was when we were just writing the songs to kind of vibe out and, and see where they went and where they ended up is where they ended up. And that's great. It was a little bit kind of as we drew to the end of that, that's when we started implementing these recurring themes. Like, you know, everything we're talking about with this law and these recurring themes, technically none of that's even out yet. It's all the stuff we're right. sitting on that's coming up. Um, so yeah, I don't think it affected the EP too much just cause it was like, it was doing the EP that gave us the idea to like elaborate even further. Um, but now, um, I don't think it like it, it stifles the, the writing too much because we're not doing it in this like super aggressively forced way where like we can't do a song that doesn't fit into it or like, you know, it's not that aggressive in terms of the um, narrative or anything. But having said that, there is these recurring themes, you know, we work on a record that is that way. And so when we do lyrics, we do often have these little bits where we're like, Ooh, would it be cool if we tried to like make this verse like somehow tie to this one? But I just think it makes it more fun. Yeah. It's like a it's like a challenge. It's like a mind exercise. Like instead of just writing like wow 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 you broke my heart wow 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 we get to go like oh shit what if we try to write about that weird song that we wrote that sounds like it's in the woods and take one of the lyrics yeah what if going. what if this like what if this song is about the monster we were singing about 
in the verse of that last song? What if this is like the reverse perspective or something like that? I mean, it just lets you play with everything like Phil said and like whip, whip swap stuff around, keeps it fresh. Yeah. It's almost like you've created this framework that you can then be free in. If that makes sense, like you've set the parameters down and then within that you've left yourself a lot of space to move around and play with things. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just like, what should we write? It's like, well, I broke up with my girlfriend yesterday, so let's write about that. (laughs) I mean, there's like, there are these like crazy rules we can, you know, apply to the music and work within. Does it feel quite fluid though as well? Does it feel like it's still constantly changing the kind of parameters for what defines this? I think so. Yeah. As I said, you know, with a concept record, I think you run the risk of going like to concept you know, and making it this like impossible narrative to follow along with. Or if you go too literal, you know, you're just singing about names and it, it can just get a bit confusing. So I think it's just like finding that balance between like having these ideas and trying to make them work in terms of lyrics and, and having them understandable, but also not like forcing it down someone's neck. Like a song should always, if it's a concept record or a concept song, I think it should still you should still be able to listen to a song at random and like be able to enjoy the song and understand its emotion, what it's about without being like, what the fuck is he singing about? Cause I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> Cause no one wants that, you know, like, like write a novel, you know, but yeah. that's just, that's just my thing. So it, it, it's really, I like it though. It's almost fun. Like putting yourself in these like parameters makes it more challenging, which is like, yeah, fun. we're geeks, you know, and we're, we're super into like D and D and like magic the gathering and stuff. So the world building thing, like kind of comes naturally, like, you know, at least to me, I, I really like it. And I'm already, you know, into that sort of like fantasy realm of stuff. So even if it's just for Phil and I to have fun making the music, like, you can step outside of that and get into this record, you know, and like what the stuff we've got upcoming. And it's still totally like, it, it should make sense. It's not like some insane, like undigestible, uh, you know, novel, like Phil was saying. Yeah. You don't need to be a mage to be able to understand it or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. What? That's funny. What's recently kind of been the musical riddle, you know, that you've had to solve, the kind of challenge that you've had to overcome? Something you've had to wrestle with musically lately? How are we going to finish all these songs? <laughs> yeah. For us, it's just about finishing. <laughs> The way we write, yeah. we typically, um, we do these little things that we call writing camps, but it's literally just me and John in like an Airbnb. And we kind of write songs pretty quickly, but we don't really worry about the production too much. We kind of just write the top line. or You know, maybe there's a little bit of production going on if that's a like part of the song, but we kind of just write a bunch of songs and then go back and kind of pick the ones we really like and develop them further. So yeah, I guess, I guess you're right, John. I think the biggest thing for us right now is just a case of like, finishing stuff because we're just sitting on like so many songs but yeah although that being said i I think really the riddle that we haven't even really addressed to is when we started this thing live music was and still is i mean it's the number one focus like our live show out of all the things that we do should be the coolest thing and it will be um it's the most important thing to both phil and i and then you know obviously we can't do that right now so when we decided we delayed because of the pandemic and then we decided to release in the pandemic anyways because you know we were brand new we felt like we had to get the ball rolling etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that was a great idea but it definitely left us with the riddle of you know we kind of pinned 
everything leading up to this live show and like that helped express what the music is really about. I mean, when these songs go live on a stage, they're going to sound like so much bigger than they do coming through Spotify, especially just because of their nature, you know, like with the huge high dynamic stuff and the organs and string sections and everything, like it's going to be insane. Um, it's going to be a mess, but now we can't do that. And so we've, you know, been kind of solving the riddle of just like, we have to go even harder on making like cool visual content and you know, what can we do within quarantine to let people know kind of what we're about and like help build this world for them, for people who would be fans of this music. Did you get a taste of that live setting when you did the kind of uh, recent performance videos? Oh, um, no, (laughs) it's so different, (laughs) you know, having a camera in your face, everything's, it's a bit more controlled for sure. And those were like, purposeful like acoustic versions of the song i know we we call them the twilight versions because we like to be fancy but um you know those were basically just (laughs) stripped down versions of the song so i mean it's still really fun but it it, you know it's not the same as doing it full force as i'm sure yeah we're going up there for like an hour hour and a half and just like sweating is like so much different yeah, and I, I really miss that. I know everyone's posting on Instagram like, wow, I miss this. Like, I miss live. But, you know, um, yeah, damn, I do. Just yesterday, I was like having a beer with Phil and we were talking about music. And I was like, you know what? Like, if if you told me that like no one would ever play live again, not that that's going to happen. But like, you know, if that, for in some alternate reality, like music just couldn't be played live. I don't know if I'd do it. Honestly, I, I'm not sure. I'm not certain that I would still do it. That's interesting because when you when you first start off playing, is that tapping into a live setting, or when you first start off right back at the beginning, is that you just writing in your bedroom? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it starts in the bedroom, but well, no, I, I guess not because I did a bunch of classic stuff like repertoire. So I guess I did start in like a live orchestra setting. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Like I got into music through like you know the alternative scene like bands like blink 182 and newfound glory and that whole that was what inspired me to like pick up a guitar and that's you know the alternative scene arguably more than any other you know part of the music industry i think the live element has always been the focus you know and obviously it is with pop and everything too but i think even more so with like bands um yeah so yeah it's always been super super important to me and it always has been this thing of like you write music so that you can like tour it and perform it yeah i I, I definitely i love them both so yeah if we could never do it again i think obviously i think i'd still make music but i don't think it would be like the full full full-time thing that you'd need some more fulfillment somewhere else i think yeah i mean i'm sort of committed to music at this point so (laughs) i have to figure it out (laughs) yeah the chips are in on that one yeah (laughs) definitely Um, it's an interesting mindset to put yourself in though yeah I didn't have to think about that until, you know, you know, obviously the global pandemic started and then I couldn't figure out why I felt so antsy and like awful, like three months in just, you know, on a personal level. And then I realized because, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't played a show in like so long and the music for a time that like didn't make sense to me, if that makes any sense. Like it it didn't like... It was like, I was like sitting in front of Ableton and I'm like, fucking why? Like, like what's the point? Yeah. Like, yeah. Has it made you explore other forms of fulfillment in your life then? Nah. No, not for me. I mean, not anything that I wasn't doing before. 
I think probably just because like we both deep down know that like eventually live music will come back, you know. And we we got so wrapped up in this thing that like we were lucky enough that what we were doing, we you know, we were planning so far ahead that it's like it almost didn't matter in the first year that live music wasn't there. If anything, I'd, I'd possibly argue it was an advantage for us. It gave us an opportunity to just focus on the music and get it right and not be distracted by like trying to rush it out so that we could like play a show or something like that. Because, you know, I do think that tends to happen. Like, you know, but you want to get it done because you like believe in it and you're like, oh, this is sick. I can't wait to book a show. But it's like with us because that wasn't an option. It was like, well, the only thing we can do is just keep working on this and try and make it better. And, you know, and then yeah. just look forward to the day that shows do come back whenever that might be. And by the time it, you know, shoots out the other end of the pandemic, like it's going to be such a different beast than when it went in because we have had all this time to polish it and think about it and, you know, work on, work on it. So, yeah, it'll be a really interesting time. Like, you know, I, I think we'll be a lot further into where you would be in a band's kind of trajectory where you'd typically be playing shows. We'll be like so much further than that. You know, it'll be a really weird day to think like whenever that day comes, like, man, we've already released this much music. You know, we've done this, 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 and this, and we literally haven't even played a show yet. Yeah. And normally in an usual world, that would be some sort of downside or like a weird suspicious thing of like, oh, are you just like not going to tour this thing or like what's going to happen with the live show? But as everybody knows, it's, it's not a choice anymore. It's why haven't you played a live show? Well, because nobody has, you know, we can't. That's why, like... <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, like, we literally can't. So, yeah, it'll be interesting when it comes back. Yeah, like you say, though, if you're trying to build a world in that live setting, it could play into it as an advantage when the world is already quite yeah. fully formed in the music already. Yeah, totally. That's the hope. Do you normally get a different perception on the music when you perform it live and you connect with it in a different way? Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I'm not yeah, really I sure how to so. word it, but yeah, I mean, there are certain, I've always felt this like with other bands that I'm big fans of, like I, there are certain bands um, that like, I, I will never listen to their Spotify and never put them on. I don't have them in any of my playlists and I'll book a ticket to their show every single time they come into town because it's just like the live experience of certain types of music. Kishibashi is like that for me crazy violinist like total rock star guy and he, he's like he's incredible and like i just like don't really do his stuff on record as weird as that sounds but like every single time he comes to town it's insane i mean like like his bass player does push-ups while he stands on his back and like shreds a violin solo and sings at the same time like it's like it's not only does it sound incredible but like it really is like a theater performance yeah, I always feel like when I'm writing a song in the studio, like the whole time I'm just thinking about what it's going to be like on stage because that's the end. That's like the the maximum form, like the the final evolution of the song is however it you know comes off on stage. And it's always a bit different than how it feels coming through your speakers. Are you almost missing out on an element? Like, Does that then feed back into the writing process and future material when you know how it kind of forms live? definitely yeah, yeah definitely yeah i feel like now maybe not in the very very beginning because uh, as we've kind of mentioned that we had a, a slightly different like motive at that point but now that we are fully kind of committed to this project as being a project 
it definitely feeds into it. Like we constantly, when we're writing a new song, are thinking about a part and how it would sound live or like even just the structuring. And it's like, how would this sound on a stage if you were watching us and you didn't know who we were and everything like that, you know, giving fans those like moments. I think both John and I have had enough like experience yeah. now that we know what those moments are and when they need to be put in, or at least I like to think we do. Obviously, that's Hopefully. somewhat subjective, but yeah, we'll find I don't out. Know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where we definitely do make decisions now in the writing process that like are for that. I can, you know, there's I can think of at least a handful of examples where we've been like, okay, let's do that now because live that will be such a like moment, you know. And we're gonna change stuff live too. I mean, it's gonna be a different animal on stage some almost literally too i mean there are songs where we're going to add whole sections that there just aren't on record so the whole thing should feel different like you should get something from our show we're not going to go up there and like regurgitate the album like that's not that's not how a live show works in my head like we're gonna it's gonna be a totally different beast yeah i guess the music is kind of structured in a slightly different way in its presentation you maybe need to tweak it slightly so that it sees through its full potential in that domain yeah yeah but it also gives us like an extra string to the bow where like because of how cinematic it is and you know that kind of angle we can use that to our advantage and you know we want to do really these are kind of fun really cinematic interludes that you know tie the songs together and you know maybe we're playing one song and you you know you're recognizing it and you're singing along having a good time and then we rather than end it you know we can go into these really kind of orchestrated moments that build into the beginning of another song and just like make it really fun like make it feel like a a trailer score like this thing that just keeps moving and is flowing and i think that's something that we can do that like you know bands have done it before sure but i think it it just would complement our sound a lot more than it might other bands just because we're lucky that we do that kind of sound anyway you know again it comes back to what we've been speaking about with the world building are there breakthrough moments on this kind of trajectory so far where it's kind of fundamentally changed things in the way that you're looking at this kind of broader canvas that you're trying to construct yeah i i think so i think things really like it's kind of like what phil was saying when you know we started working on the first dp things definitely felt and looked a bit different up until now and there, there, there were just certain moments you know like i can't speak too much on them without like giving a bunch of stuff away for future material, but like where we sort of like realized this idea and they're like, Oh my gosh, like we can build so much around that. Like we can center so much of the material on that and pull from it and like help it flush out and paint in the color in this world. Um, And that's, you know, it's, it's all been heading in the same way, but it's definitely like shot off, you know, forward in like certain directions at certain critical moments of just realizing like, Whoa, that's really cool. Like we could do a lot with that. <laughs> you know, it always just comes back to this. Like we're just trying to make a project that we think would be cool. Like, like that's always kind of had the the aim. Like mm-hmm. it's a you know this world building thing. Like it, it's it's very it is very organic, and it's like it's our interests coming into one. Like John, you know, we're both into D and D and all that kind of stuff. But John's a little bit more invested in that than I am. But then I'm way more invested in like horror movies and and 
being like a cinephile so it, it it really is just us trying to be like oh man like i would love it if a band did this and yeah if we like it's it it's entirely then, a so. selfish project yeah <laughs> we're just making just something like, that we would think is cool and yeah and like if other people want to join like they're so welcome <laughs> yeah and if they think we're weird as fuck then they're probably right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Is the the kind of D influence? Is that where a lot of the kind of classical imagery, in terms of you know, you kind of reference and use like ice and fire a lot in it? Is that where that's kind of pulling from as well? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, you know, it's an amalgamation, but yeah, it, there's definitely there's definitely an influence there, and this sort of like grand, fantastic scale that we want to put this project on pulls a lot from D and D, and you know, novels and like you know, you, you name it, Tolkien esque. Yeah, it, it definitely like. I, I think there's there's the whiff of a of a flavor of it in the EP, but the, the next kind of stuff that's coming is like we've really cranked it to eleven, like yeah. like <laughs> lyrically, especially like there's there's not as much ambiguity anymore. Like we are straight up singing about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why does the EP come first? And are these the first songs that you kind of wrote, and that's where they're being presented to us in this way? Or why did you decide to come in with it instead of going straight in with the big kind of full realization you're speaking about there and the new stuff? Yeah, it's more than just that that realization came naturally a little bit later. You know, we did the first EP and in doing it and getting wrapped up in it and having so much fun making it, you know, it, that wave of like, this is what it sounds like didn't satisfy us for long enough. You know, that made us really excited for a bit. And then we just couldn't help ourselves and we just naturally were like, oh, but what if we did this? And if we did that and i think it mostly started because we wrote this one song which isn't out yet so you know i won't speak on it because it wouldn't make any sense but there was one song that i think really kind of started it and on that occasion i think it was sort of i don't want to say an accident because we talked about this idea of having this kind of fantasy lore kind of influence but that one kind of really brought it into the real thing and then from there we just got so psyched on it that like all the songs we were writing felt like that and then everyone you write and every lyric that says something cool you're like oh damn like this could tie to this and before we knew it it was just this kind of all-encompassing thing but yeah it was more that it just like it came a little bit after rather than like it was always there and we're staggering it out slowly it's almost taken a life of its own yeah very much so how does that change the atmosphere in the room once it does that once it does take on a life and it's on, it kind of gathers this momentum and it's powering forth. Yeah, we just get really excited. <laughs> yeah, we, we geek out pretty hard when we write one of these songs. <laughs> like, oh my God. I mean, there's some like lyrics in those that I was like, man, I can't believe that's actually on the page. Like that's, you pro- some of it you won't even really notice, but if you read the lyrics, you're like, what? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's almost like the part I'm most proud of. Like I think any, well, not anyone, but like, going and making a band like it's it has been done before in in some degrees and different kind of fashions but like being able to have it be about like fantasy stuff and have these lyrics involved but like we said earlier also make it it's not so aggressive that like if you weren't interested in that you wouldn't understand it like it's this really small target to hit of trying to like have it be about that and literally talking about that whilst it's also veiled as like a metaphor for something else like you could easily make the the argument like this song is about a breakup or this song is about somebody who cheated or this song is about loss or whatever it is, but just kind of in the guise of like these like fantastical lyrical concepts. 
Yeah, you're almost you're contextualizing your story in someone else's or in this other world. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, you're like, but isn't that just what fantasy is about, anyway? Like, you don't watch Lord of the Rings because you think you're an elf. Like, you watch it no. because it's cool and you relate to the characters and the struggles and like, yeah, you know, and then totally. it's, it's just gilded in this like awesome ice yeah. and fire. But they get like three hours to tell a story and we get like three minutes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Does that not make it a little bit more powerful though? If you're able to compress all of that into this three minute thing. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, yeah. I guess so. It depends which way you look at it. Um, but I guess that's why we also like tie songs together because, you know, the Tolkien reference is a really great one. And, and for me, a lot of like vintage horror and even new horror, like, you know, the, the new kind of A24 horror movement, it's just, you know, shows like American Horror Story where it's all these like different things that tie together. There's just something so cool about watching something or listening something and you have that little moment where you're like, oh my God, they're referencing something else I know. It's this very strange psychological moment where you you almost feel like you won something or like it's this instantly gratifying moment where you feel like you know something somebody else doesn't and you're part of something and you get it and... It's, I don't know, it's such a hard yeah. thing to explain, but I, when I'm watching yeah. these movies or these TV shows and that moment happens to me, I love it. That's when I'm like entrapped <laughs> in a show. And if we can do that with music, I think that's just like the coolest thing. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 